0: All right, well, again, good morning, everyone. Um, this morning, we're continuing this, the one another series that we started, and it's becoming a, a longer series than I had originally planned, um, but I think it's important for us to go through these. And I know I've been convicted and, and challenged as I've prepared for and studied for these sermons, and so I hope that they have been challenging to you as well. We are to stir one another, one another up to Good works right and and I hope so I hope these sermons have have done that for you a little bit um, and that 's exactly what we looked at last week what it means to stir up one another to encourage one another that we are to help point each other to jesus and that 's basically what encouraging each other is all about it's not just cheering each other on or complimenting each other it's Actually helping each other look to Jesus for hope, for strength, and for guidance. And reminding each other of his character and his work in our lives. This week, I want to go through a couple, a couple of one another's. I'd like to do two. Thank you, Bora. That I think tie into each other really well. And so our main passage today comes from James 5. If you guys would like to turn there with me the book of James has been called the Proverbs of the New Testament. It is full of wisdom. It is full of practical encouragement and advice. And it is very direct. (laughs) James 2 basically says, if you're not showing fruit, you probably don't have true faith. James is very, very blunt. But his writing is also very practical and very wise. Some have even said that the book of James doesn't belong in the New Testament because it doesn't mention Jesus at all, but when we look at the teaching of the book of James, it aligns with the teaching of Jesus throughout his ministry. It calls Christians back to obedience um, as Jesus himself did, and it teaches about suffering, It it teaches about showing favoritism, not showing favoritism, it teaches about being just and showing mercy. And that's what Jesus taught as well. So let's take a look at our passage this morning from James 5, starting in chapter, sorry, verse 13. Let me read this for us. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So, in this passage, there are two one another commands. Confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another. And James starts this passage by encouraging believers to pray. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Did you know that singing to God is praying? I know some of the songs we sing are about God and they encourage us and, and we're reminded of God's characters, character and promises through those songs. But when we are singing songs that are directed to God, we are praying to God. And so James asks, Are you cheerful? Praise Him. Thank Him. Is anyone sick? Pray for them. James is saying, in every season, pray. Paul, remember, Paul says, "Pray without ceasing." Um, he doesn't. He doesn't mean that we all we do is get down on our knees and 24/7 we're just praying, praying, praying. That's not what he's, he's talking about. That's not what James is talking about either. They both mean we are to continually and continually be communing, fellowshipping, communicating with God. Even if it's short prayers while we're walking down the street, of course, we set aside time to have quiet time with him, but it doesn't have to stop there. We can continually be in conversation with our Lord throughout the day. In, in verse 14 of our passage, James instructs the church to call the elders of the church to pray over the sick. Why does he do that? Let me read that passage again. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Elders are men who have a proven track record, who are faithful, and who have been consistently faithful. I won't get into the qualifications of an elder, but if you're curious, you can go and read 1 Timothy 3 later on. It lays it all out. Um, Why would they anoint with oil? Well, oil was a symbol of God coming to the person who was anointed. And it was a symbol of the power of the Holy Spirit. In Leviticus 14, we actually see the procedure for what to do with a diseased person. They are to be brought to the priest for ceremonial cleansing. And part of that cleansing is anointing with oil or was anointing with oil. Oil was also medicinal. And and Leviticus 14 also explains how olive oil can also treat skin diseases. Remember the parable of the Good Samaritan the good samaritan bandages up that jewish man who was beaten and left to the side of the road and then what does he do he in luke 10 34 it says he poured oil and wine on his wounds as treatment for his wounds the author of the book of james is a jewish man of course he's believed to be james the brother of jesus And after Jesus' death, as the church becomes more organized, he becomes one of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. And so James is writing to Jewish believers. Jewish Christians may have stopped participating in the sacrificial system, as we looked at last week, Um, but they may have changed their perspective and thinking towards Judaism as a religion, but they still were culturally Jewish and olive oil was a big part of Jewish life. And so this is why James is giving this instruction to anoint with oil. It's actually not mentioned anywhere else in the New Testament outside of the Gospels and here in James. And so that might be why many modern Christians don't actually anoint with oil anymore. Um, But I would say that because it's in the book of James, It's in the Bible, and there's nothing wrong with being anointed with oil. However, I will say that there's nothing magical about anointing with oil. Um, The focus of this passage here in James is prayer. So let let me read verse 14 and 15 one more time. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, And the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So the elders are to pray over this sick person and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And then it says, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. Let's stop there. Remember the ones who are praying, the elders... They are the ones who have been faithful and who have a track record of faithfulness, of being faithful to the Lord. And so these mature believers are able to pray a prayer of faith. What does that mean, though, a prayer of faith? Well, first of all, it means there is no doubt. And we're not talking about a certainty that God will heal. We're talking about a certainty that God can heal and a certainty that one's prayer is heard by God. Because if you're not certain that God hears your prayer, then that is doubt. And that's not a prayer of faith. Also, when we talk about a prayer of faith, we're talking about trusting God. Part of faith is trusting God, and if we trust him, then we believe that he knows what is best. And those who pray in faith are unwavering, in their confidence that God will do what is best. I mentioned a second ago that the prayer of faith involves a certainty that God hears our prayers. How do we know that God hears our prayers? How do we know that God hears us? How can we be certain of it? In, in verse 17 and 18 of this passage in James 5, James mentions Elijah and What does he say? He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he says this to illustrate that Elijah is no different than you or me. Anyone who trusts God and has been declared righteous because of faith in Jesus can pray to God. And God listens and answers and does things that seem impossible. And yet at the same time, we can see scripture saying things like this. In 1 Peter 3.12, it says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And then Proverbs 15.8 says, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who pursues righteousness. And so we get a sense from these verses that righteousness has a lot to do with what we do. But if scripture is telling us that we're already righteous because of the work of Jesus and it does tell us that in passages like Philippians 3:9 which says I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law rather i become righteous through faith in christ for god's way of making us right with himself depends on faith so there's passages like this but then scripture also tells us that god hears those who do right not those who do evil and so how do we reconcile that well the answer to that is actually found in the book of james in james chapter 2 verse 18 It says, but someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? And so, what James is saying here is that works are the fruit of faith. If there are no works, no fruit, then there must not be true faith. And so when passages like Proverbs 15.8, which we just read, say God loves him who pursues righteousness, or 1 Peter 3, his ears are open to their prayer, when the Bible is telling us that God loves and listens to those who are righteous, it's first telling us we are righteous because of Jesus. Because of faith in Jesus. Romans 3, just to solidify this, starting in verse 21 says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. We cannot be righteous on our own. We cannot be considered holy, set apart, forgiven which is freed and cleansed from sin. We cannot be considered these things in the eyes of God without Jesus' work on the cross. And then because our faith is genuine, because we not only believe but we trust and we have surrendered our lives to God, because of this, we pursue righteousness. Righteous works are the fruit of our faith. Righteous works don't make us righteous, They are the result of true faith. True faith in Jesus who cleanses us us from sin and declares us righteous before the Father. So back to our passage, verse 15 says, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Many commentators agree that this carries a double meaning. It can mean physical healing, but it can also mean spiritual healing, meaning the person could be weak in faith or somehow discouraged. And the Greek word for sick here is (laughs) asenaya. I practiced that, but I didn't say it well still. Anyway, you guys get the point. The Greek word here actually means to be weak. It is used in the gospel to talk about physical illness, But throughout Acts and Paul's letters, it is is referring to weak faith or a weak conscience. And so there's a good chance that this is a double meaning. And it refers to both. And it's interesting to note that the prayer of faith that is mentioned is not the faith of the one who's being prayed for. It's the faith of those who are praying, the elders, And so again, there's a good case to be made that it's not just someone physically ill, but also someone who has somehow become weak in their faith. Another interesting thing to note is that James is not saying this is a formula for physical healing, that if we find ourselves seriously ill, we simply call the elders to come and anoint us with oil and pray earnestly with conviction, and then we will be healed. He's not saying that healing is always a gift from God. And so we need to remember that. Verse 15 continues, And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. James says, if he has committed sins, in verse 15. And James suggests, so James is suggesting here that not all of our sicknesses or illnesses are connected to sin. Although that is a possibility. We, we read in 1 Corinthians 11 that if we take communion in an unworthy manner, that it can actually lead to sickness. So it's always a, a possibility to be sick because of sin. And there are definitely times um, that physical sickness is a result of sin. There are times that we hold on to things. And we let bitterness and stress take root. And we know that stress is a major contributor to illness, right? Hebrews 12, 15 says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. And then Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Forgiveness heals us. We saw this a few weeks ago. And here in James, James says, if there is sin, confess it and you will be healed. Something else I want to point out is that James is addressing this letter to the church, to Jewish Christians, Jewish Christians who are meeting together in house churches and most likely living outside of Palestine. He says at the beginning of the letter to the churches to the diaspora, so he's talking about Jews that are spread out, not living in their homeland. And so um, when the Catholic Church uses this verse as a proof of why you should confess your sins to a priest, it doesn't really track. We're to confess our sins to one another, to others in the church. If you confess your sins to a pastor or a leader in the church, it has no more significance than if you confess your sins to your brother or sister in Christ. And as we learned a few weeks ago, when we look at forgiving one another, If we have done something wrong, we need to ask for forgiveness. We need to go to that person that we've offended or wronged and ask for forgiveness. Confess our sin to that person. If we are struggling with sin, we need to ask someone to pray with us. And and, and in the process of asking for prayer, we confess our sin to that person to our brother or sister in Christ, and and they are able to pray for us specifically, pray for our sins specifically. That's why when James says, confess your sins to one another, he immediately says, pray for one another. And so we can confess our sins to anyone who can pray for us, not just leaders in the church. Let me read verse 16 again. It says, Therefore, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Prayer is one of the most important things that we can do for one another. We can comfort each other. We can encourage each other. We can do a lot of things for each other. But only God can change our hearts. We, um, only God can shape our character and our perspective. We can't actually do that for each other. And so that's part of why it's so important for us to be praying for each other. Someone can be the most comfortable person, in, uh, be in the most comfortable position, sorry, in their life. They can be wealthy. They can have a great family, a great job. They can be healthy. But if they don't have God, where is the purpose and where is the meaning in their life? And what will happen to them in the end? And if someone is poor, if their life is in shambles, uh, no family, no friends, their circumstances are terrible, and yet they have God, they have everything. But whether you're rich or you're poor, in good circumstances or in bad circumstances, if you have faith in your Creator, if you understand that He has rescued you from sin, you really do have everything. Mark 8, 36 says, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? We can have everything that the world offers and yet have nothing. One of my professors in college used to say, God is more interested in your character than in your comfort. And it's true. It doesn't matter what our circumstances are. If God is working in our hearts, we will find contentment. We will find joy, and we will find purpose and meaning. And and that's what we should be praying for, for each other. We have been freed from sin, but we are still surrounded by a world filled with sin. And we need to be praying for each other that we would be continually transformed by the power of God, that we would continue to be healed and turn away from the sin that so easily entangles us. And that our character would grow and that we would be strengthened in the Lord, not easily thrown back and forth by the waves of life, by the circumstances of life, but be able to stand firm in the Lord as we grow in him, as we mature in him. We need to be praying for each other in all things. My, my mother is a prayer warrior and I know that God has provided for me and my wife Bora because of her prayers. So we need to be praying for each other. Sometimes I, th- I think we don't pray because we don't believe that it will, it will make a difference. Um, but prayer is not a magical thing. It's simply talking to God. Sometimes we petition him. We ask him for things. Sometimes we thank him. Sometimes we confess sin to him. Sometimes we just talk to him about our day. And I think too often we think of prayer as a thing in itself when really it's just communicating with God. So instead of saying things like we need to pray, maybe we should say we need to talk to God. Or instead of saying, and I've heard this a lot, prayer works, maybe we should say God listens to his people. As I was preparing this sermon, I found a few suggestions or conditions that one commentator explains when it comes to praying for others, and I'd like to share those. First, he says, sensitivity to the needs of others. Within a church body like ours, even as small as our church is, there are a lot of things to pray for. And, and there, there's actually quite a few people to pray for. And practically speaking, a good habit for us to have is to write down prayer requests for each other, maybe on a note in your phone or if you carry around a notepad. And when the prayer is answered, we can move that to an answered note um, that we can look back on and we can remember and be encouraged by that God answered those prayers. I used to be terrible about saying that I would pray for someone and then completely forget. So I think this is a good way to, to remember how to pray for each other. Another aspect of sensitive, sensitivity to each other's needs is knowing what to pray for. Sometimes people are too shy or too embarrassed to share a prayer request, but as we get to know each other more and more, we become more and more aware of each other's lives, and, and we become more and more aware of the highs and the lows, things to praise God for and needs and, frankly, failings with each other. We see, see things in each other's lives that need work, and we need to be praying about these things for each other regularly. Another suggestion is supplication for needs, which sounds really high and mighty, but it just means praying earnestly and humbly for each other. And that's exactly what verse 17 is talking about with Elijah. Elijah prayed earnestly, it says fervently. He was serious and intentional, not half hearted. But we need to remember that God doesn't hear us because we're earnest or because we're intentional. God doesn't listen to us more or take us more seriously because we're more passionate than the next person. God hears us because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And I'm not discounting passionate prayer at all. I'm just meaning that it's not a secret formula to make God listen to us. Jesus tells a parable in Luke about a woman who relentlessly petitioned a judge. And in the end, the judge couldn't deny her request. And Jesus compares that situation to how God the Father listens to our petitions. He is waiting for us to spend time with him. He wants to listen to our requests and he wants us to go to him, but we need to go and we need to ask and, and we need to continue to ask, not just once, but continually. Remember, Jesus says, you do not receive because you do not ask. We need to go to him consistently. And we, we don't just go to him when we need something. We go to him All the time, right? Remember how James starts this section. He says, are you suffering? Pray. Are you happy? Praise. We go to him in every situation. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. The NIV translates these last two verses, 16 and 17, and says, The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. Elijah was no more special than we we are. He had great faith, but he was merely a man. And it's the strength of our faith, not who we are or how we pray, that God sees. We're not heard by God because of our position in life, right? We're not heard by God because of how passionately we talk to him. When we try to conjure up passion or emotion, that doesn't make God listen any more than if we're quietly sitting before him. We also don't impress God with lengthy and eloquent prayers. He just wants us to be honest before him. I grew up in the church, and I remember, even when I was young, thinking how strange it was that people would pray in King James language with these and thous and ths at the end of their verbs. Even as a kid, I knew that was that was weird. <laughs> King David prayed poetically and he prayed prophetically. His prayers were true to him. And, and we don't need to pray p- poetically. He was a poet. He was a prophet. Um, he, was, he was being true to himself is what I'm saying. And so we need to be true to ourselves when we pray. If we want to pray in King James, I guess that's, that's fine. <laughs> um, but we need to be honest and sincere and humble before him when we come to him. And not because that makes him listen to us. Again, he listens to us because of what Jesus has done. But he wants, he wants to hear us pour out our hearts before him. Um, he wants to be our confidant. He wants to be our counselor. He wants to be the one that we turn to in all seasons, good and bad. All of that said, there are some things that we should do when we're praying. First, we should make sure that there are no unconfessed sins in our, lives, in our hearts that may hinder the effectiveness of our prayer. Often sin is the result of selfishness, and if there's sin in our hearts, we need to, we need to surrender that. And if we refuse to surrender that, to him, then how can we come before him humbly as he asks? And when we approach his throne of grace and mercy, we approach recognizing that he is God and that we are not, and that we have surrendered our way for his way. Another thing to consider is that if we're asking God for something, why are we asking him? What are our motives? For example, are we asking God for a better job if so, why? So that we can make more money to spend on ourselves? In James 4.3, it says, When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And then Proverbs 21.13 gives us, gives us a sobering bit of truth about why our prayers may go unanswered. It says, when, Oh. It says, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is is sin for them. So when there's something that we know that we should do, but we stay quiet or we refuse to do anything about it, the Bible tells us that that's sin, and unconfessed sin is a problem. Remember the pattern of prayer that Jesus taught his disciples included confession. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who Sin against us. Back to Elijah, James tells us that he was an ordinary man and that yet when he prayed, miracles happened. It didn't rain for three and a half years. In 1 Kings 17, we read that he prayed for the widow's son and and the the boy's life was restored. When we read about people like Elijah in the Bible, they seem larger than life. They seem like superheroes, people that are so holy and saintly that we could never be like them. We know our own faults, right? We know our own struggles, and we know how far we seem to be from people like that. And yet, they struggled too. They did. They struggled too. Remember last week, I listed off several biblical figures biblical figures, even saying that I feel like they're up here and we're down here, right? I listed several people in the Bible who struggled, and yet the thing that they all shared in common, and the reason that they are listed in Hebrews 11, is their faith. They believed in and trusted the God of the universe. They believed and trusted that what he said was true. And they believed that he could be trusted, and that he was good and that he knew best. And so when James says Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, he's saying that this man was a normal person who also struggled as we do. And I'm sure at times he struggled with sin even. He, he wasn't perfect. Uh, only Jesus can claim that. This man prayed for miraculous. He prayed for the miraculous to happen and the miraculous occurred. God heard Elijah and answered his prayers. And God hears us too. Because of Jesus, the Father hears us. And so let's not forget to pray for each other as James encourages us to do. Let's not be afraid to share our lives with each other, to share our struggles, to have the humility to confess our sins to one another. Let's take seriously our responsibility for each other. We are to love one another, to serve one another, to encourage one another, and to pray for one another. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you that you hear us. Because of your Son, we can come before you anytime, and we thank you for that. I pray that you would help us to remember to pray for each other and to to have the humility to be open and honest with each other so that we can pray for each other, that we can help each other, God, in prayer and encourage each other. Help Help us to be diligent in our care for each other. Help us to love one another as you have loved us and commanded us to do. And we pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.